switch gears now. We're going to go to Luke chapter number one. Uh, last week, we began a series. If you weren't here, I'll tell you a little bit about it. We began a series called Songs of the Season and walking through some original Christmas songs. So Luke actually records for us four different songs that are given here. And they're, it doesn't say this is a song, but we could maybe call them ancient hymns. And the, the lyrics are such and the structure of the literature is such that we know, hey, this was, this was a hymn or this was a song that was sung. And these actual songs have been set to music for centuries in, in many different ways. Uh, we, last week we looked at Mary's song, also called The Magnificent. Uh, this week we're going to look at Zechariah's song, also called Benedictus. And this is, this is some original Christmas music. There's four songs that Luke gives us, Mary, Zacharias, Simeon, and then the angels. So Mary and the angels are pretty famous, but Zacharias and Simeon are a little less well-known. But we're going to cover Zacharias' song today. So Luke chapter number one, an original Christmas carol recorded in Scripture for us by Zacharias. Let's look at verse number 67 towards the end of the chapter. Luke 1:67. here's what Zacharias says. His father Zacharias, his father means John the Baptist's father. We'll cover that in a moment. But his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets which have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby... The day spring on, from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You read those 12 verses, and if you're like me the first time that you read them, you think, what did he just say? I'm not exactly sure what I just read and what Zacharias just praised the Lord about and sang about. And our task this morning is try to unpack this song and help you understand exactly what Zacharias is saying. And I think when you understand that, you will see Christmas in a newer and in a fuller way. I think when you understand this, even your faith in the Word of God and God himself will be bolstered. And that's what we're going to walk through this. Luke chapter number one, I'm going to make a statement, a general statement about Christmas sermons. And I'm going to make a statement specifically about this Christmas sermon. So in general, I feel that oftentimes we miss the depths of the Christmas story when we even sing about it or talk about it or preach about it in church. So this is the time of year that churches will begin to fill, fill for a couple weeks with people that come to church for their, you know, once a year uh, kind of shot in the arm from church. There are many people that are just kind of Christmas-only people. I'll find a service close to Christmas and, and I'll go because I'm supposed to. And, uh, and, and typically what will happen there is that a pastor will feel, I, well, I don't want to disappoint these people. They're just coming once a year all this way you know, to hear the Christmas sermon. So let's talk about Jesus. You know, he was born. He was in a manger. There were some cows. They, they you know, ate some hay, moo. And, and we leave out of, out of, you know, church 
with, with the, the same facts of the Christmas story, and we're really no better off than when we came in. We didn't learn anything. We didn't grow. We didn't see what God wanted us to do. We just got the Christmas story. And, and I'm not demeaning the, the Christmas story at all, but the Christmas story is so much fuller and grander and larger than oftentimes what we make it to be, even inside of church this time of year. And I, I, I am particularly loving this series and studying through it and preparing for it because it's challenged me, and it has really just kind of opened my eyes to even some 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 deeper truths of Christmas that I don't think that I had fully understood before. I know even in my own personal home, we read the Christmas story uh, every single year. And at Christmas time, Christmas Day, before we opened presents, we would read the Christmas story. But we always started at Luke 2. We never read the 80 verses of Luke 1. But Luke 1 is part of the Christmas story that we're even walking through here this morning. So in general, I, I feel that uh, sentiment can take over Christmas, but there, there are so many depths to plumb when it comes to the Christmas story. Let me say something specifically about this sermon. How many of you, raise of hands, how many of you like jigsaw puzzles? We have any jigsaw puzzle lovers in here? There were more in the first service and the second service than I thought there would have been, all right? So if you don't love jigsaw puzzles, you'll still get it. Let's say, let's say that this morning we were going to play a game and I had a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle and I was going to give this half of the room a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. I'm going to give this half of the room the same thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. This half of the room, I gave you your puzzle. I showed you the box. On the box was this pretty picture of a landscape. And I said, hey, here are the pieces. Dump them out. You know, ready, begin. Go, make your jigsaw puzzle. Then I gave you all the same jigsaw puzzle, but I said, you know what? I'm going to give you the box, but the box, I'm going to take the picture off and you're just going to have blank cardboard. You're not going to get to see what, what it'll look like when it's done. You'll just figure that out as you put it together. But uh, to, to make up for that, I'll make it easier on you. You have about 75 less pieces to put together. I've taken out the border, and you don't have to put together those. They, they do. They have to put together more pieces than you, but you don't have the border. So ready, begin. Now, which group is going to finish their, Chris, their puzzle first? Right? This group's going to finish first. Why? Because they have, they have the big picture. Here's what this is supposed to look like if I get the really high view of this. And they have the outline. They have the border. That's really important. I, I mention that for this reason. When we get to Zacharias' song, we look at 11 verses. It is a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. All right, his, his song is unbelievably deep. It is, it is unrivaled in depth. When, you, when we, we sang this morning some carols filled with some theological truth, which is great, they don't hold a candle to Zacharias' song. And this morning, my task is to give you the big picture. Here's what Zacharias' song is, if I, could, if I could summarize it. And I'm going to give you the outline of the song, but I am not going to have the time to really, it would be a whole Christmas series if we wanted to, to put the, the puzzle together. So I'm going to give you the big picture. I'm going to give you the outline, and I'm going to leave it to you to actually fill in the pieces yourself and to actually put that together and study some on your own. Now, I understand that not all of you will do that, but I hope that you would want to do that. I hope that you would want to take what's given this morning and maybe plumb the depths a bit further on your own. So a couple ways that you could do that. I put some references <coughs> in the outline this morning. I'm not going to cover or even mention or read all those references, but they're there to help you as you study. I would say get a study Bible, get a commentary on Luke and begin to read through some of this. If you don't have some of those, stop by the bookstore and get some of those. But there's a lot there for you. And this is important. This is important for so many reasons, but if for no other reason, that you're able to, as a parent or, or as an uncle or as a grandparent, to take, to take your children or your grandchildren and put them on your lap at Christmas and not just give them sentiment and not just give them the trivialities of what the Christmas story is, but to give them the real depths and to be able to sit your child on your lap and say, do you understand 
how miraculous the Christmas story is from beginning to end? Do you understand all of the different miracles God did to make this happen? Do you understand how involved he was? Do you understand how, how a part of the Christmas story and how he orchestrated this, how in control he is? And what you get from Zacharias' song is that. You, you get new layers to the Christmas story that, that I pray will help you in your own faith, but will also help your children and your grandchildren. That's the introduction to the introduction. Let me give you the introduction, all right? This, I'm not going to read the verses with you, but you can read them on your own time. There's a bit of introduction here. Luke actually begins his gospel. We're at the back part of chapter 1, but he begins chapter 1 with Zacharias and Elizabeth. So the first five verses of Luke is an introduction. It's like, hey, I'm Luke. And I'm writing, here's why I'm writing this, here's who I'm writing to. And that's actually an important passage. Luke actually says, hey, I know a lot of people have already written about Jesus, but I actually, Luke is not a firsthand witness of Jesus. He's, he's the only gospel writer that didn't see Jesus face to face. And he says, I've gone, I've researched, I've collected, I've talked to people, I've interviewed people. It's very likely that Luke would have interviewed face to face Mary, the mother of Jesus. He says, I've done this and I've done this so that I could put an order to you, Theophilus. He writes this guy named Theophilus. It's a strange name, right? But Theophilus is, is this kind of Gentile leader. He says, I'm writing this to you, Theophilus, so that you can be assured of the things that you've been instructed in. So it tells us, here's the point of the whole Luke 1 and Luke 2. Here's the overarching point of it. I'm writing to give you confidence in the Word of God. I'm writing to give you confidence in the gospel. I'm writing to give you confidence in Jesus that you've been instructed in. So Luke begins his task of bolstering faith in this man with Zacharias. Now, it wouldn't have been where I would have naturally thought to start, but that's where he starts, with Zacharias. He says there's this guy named Zacharias, and there's a lady named Elizabeth, their husband and wife. He says that they're, they're an older couple, and Zacharias is a priest. But they are, and they love the Lord. They're righteous. They're holy. They really want to follow the Lord, but he says they're barren. Now, in the first century, those, those two things are difficult to reconcile. If you were barren, that was a sign that God was not blessing you, that you did not have the favor of the Lord. So someone that loved the Lord, lived for the Lord, wanted to serve the Lord, and was barren, those two just seemed to conflict with each other. But that's, that's who they were. And Zacharias was a priest. And Luke says that Zacharias, as his course was, he went to the temple one week. So in this day and age, there are roughly 20,000 priests. There's too many to serve at one time at the temple. So they had, even, even years prior, they had divided the priests into 24 different groups. And they were, they were listed under these different kind of leaders. And one of the groups was led by Abijah. Abijah has long been dead, but Zacharias has been through descendants. He's been of the group of Abijah. And he would serve in the temple two to four weeks a year. So Zacharias went for one of his weekly servings at the temple, and the Bible says that that day, the lot fell to Zacharias to burn incense on the altar. What that means is that one priest would be selected each day to go into the holy place and put incense on the altar to burn before the Lord. Now, if you do the math, you're serving two to four weeks a year. You know, you're serving 14, 28 days a year. You're maybe 80 years old. You, you started your service at, at age 30. There's a 1,000 priests with you. The bottom line is that this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. The lot has just fell to Zacharias to go put the incense on the altar. This is a once-in-a-lifetime shot for him to do this. This is special. So Zacharias does this, and the Bible says that Zacharias puts the incense on the altar, and an angel shows up to him, the angel Gabriel that showed up to Mary months later. An angel shows up to Zacharias and says, boo, basically, and Zacharias gets scared and says, Zacharias, I've heard your prayer. You're barren, but you're barren no more. You're going to conceive a son, and you're going to call his name John. 
Now, I want you to see a, a portion of what this angel told him because it's important to this study this morning. If you would, look at verse number 15. He just said, you're going to have a son. People are going to rejoice at his birth. You're going to call his name John. But then he gives him another layer of clarity. It's not just you're going to have a son, great, you're not barren. He says this in verse number 15. Your son shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Now that's, a, that, that's unusual. Your son's going to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Now verse number 17 is highly unusual. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient and, uh, to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, what that is saying is that's actually an allusion to the end of the Old Testament. The last prophecy that the Jews ever had was the end of Malachi, Malachi 4, verses uh, 5 and 6, that, that, that Elijah was going to come in power and was going to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. That was the last prophecy that was given. Zacharias would have known this undoubtedly. And the angel says, you're going to have a son, miracle, but beyond that, he's going to be the one that was prophesied in Malachi. He's going to be a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. This is, this is extra special. This isn't just that you're having a son in your old age. This, he's literally going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He's literally going to be who we know today as John the Baptist, but he's the fulfillment of that prophecy in Malachi. The Bible says that Zacharias doubts. Immediately, this, this prophecy is, is eclipsed by doubts in his mind. And to, and to make sure that, that Zacharias knows this is true, don't doubt, the angel makes Zacharias mute. He cannot talk any longer. Now, that's a problem for the guy who just burned incense on the altar because what would happen is you would burn incense on the altar, you would walk out, and you would give the priestly blessing to all of those that are in the courtyard of the temple. And the Bible makes it clear that people were waiting for Zacharias to come out and to give the Aaronic blessing to them. And they're, they're kind of looking at their watches saying, it's taking a long time in there. Like, incense isn't that complicated, man. Like, get out of here. And the Bible says that he comes out and he's supposed to give them number 6, 24 through 26. It's actually a beautiful passage. It, it's something that, that recently... I purchased when I was in Israel a necklace that has this inscribed in Hebrew and gave it to my wife. But these are the words that he's supposed to say. He's supposed to say, the Lord bless thee and keep thee and make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. But Zacharias walks out and he can't talk. And they're obviously thinking like, something's strange here. Like you took forever. Now you can't talk to us. Now, mind you, in these days and days, it's not like pen and paper just laying around handy somewhere. It'd be very difficult to communicate. You, to, to write, you'd actually have to have like a, a wooden tablet with wax coating it. It's a long process. There weren't dry erase boards everywhere. So they know that this is, this is something's happening here. And the Bible says Zacharias goes back home. He goes to his, his elderly wife, and he's elderly as well, Elizabeth. They conceive a son. And then six months later, the angel comes to Mary. We looked at that last week. The angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to conceive as well. And mind you, Elizabeth, your way older cousin, she's conceived. And the Bible says that Mary goes to Elizabeth and she spends the last trimester of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Mary's first trimester and Elizabeth's last trimester are together. She spends with her. And then we're going to pick up the story after that Mary's song and her blessing. Skip over to the end of the chapter here. We're going to pick up the story in verse number 59. 57. 
The Bible says now Elizabeth is pregnant with Zacharias' son, who will know to be John the Baptist. And this is what the Bible says. Elizabeth full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth the son. So she delivers John. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy unto her, and they rejoiced with her. So here's this celebration, verse number 59. It came to pass that on the eighth day they came to, this, to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, no, 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 not so. He shall be called John. And they said to her, there's none of thy kindred that's called by this name. So they made signs to his father how that he would have him called. And Zacharias asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, his name is John. And they marveled all. And he, Zacharias, his mouth was opened immediately, his tongue loosed, he spake and praised God. And fear came on all them that dwelt round about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, what manner of child this shall be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Here's what happens. Mary gives birth to John. Eight days later comes the circumcision, which coincidentally is, is a soft way to indicate the omniscience of God. I love when the Bible does this in really soft ways. It just kind of leans into God knows what he's doing. Why is it that the Jewish people circumcise their child on the eighth day? Well, God told them to circumcise the children on the eighth day. That's why they did it. Why would God tell them to circumcise the children on the eighth day? Now, if you've had a child recently, you, you know this to be true. The first thing your pediatrician wants to do after they check your baby and do that little, I don't know what the test is. They want to 10 scale your baby. It's, it's a weird test that they do. But they check your baby. The first thing they want to do is they want to give them a vitamin K shot. That, that will thicken their blood because the blood does not naturally thicken until the eighth day. How amazing is that, that long before medicine ever really knew this, God knew this. He said, circumcise them on the eighth day, back before they had vitamin K shots. So circumcision was a, was a family celebration really in those days, kind of a strange thing to celebrate, but nevertheless it was. And family comes together, they're rejoicing, they're, they're with Elizabeth, they're with Zacharias, they're here to have the celebration. And the Bible says that they, they say, okay, we're going to name him Zacharias after his dad. They're kind of crowdsourcing the name a little bit. And mom, Elizabeth says, no, 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 I'm going to call him John. And then they look to Zacharias and say, hey, is, is, that, is that okay? Is that what we should do? Which... I'll just kind of plug this here for 30 seconds. I think is the Bible indicating that maybe the father should have veto power in naming the child. I would dare say that that's scriptural. Um, You know what I'm saying? So there's, if you're visiting, my wife and I are expecting a child. The due date is in 11 days and we have yet to decide on a name. I mean, I've decided on some names, and she's decided on some names, but there's, you know, we're just not in sync yet. So I would dare say people had suggestions. Mary said, here's what I think, but Zacharias biblically had the right to name the child. But nevertheless, he says his name will be John. And people marvel at this, and they, they, they wonder at this. I'm just kidding, babe. I love you. They marvel at this. And, and they lay up in their hearts, and they say, man, there's something special going on here. What, what kind of child is this going to be? What's going to happen? Now, the answer to that question, what kind of child shall this be? Zacharias knows the answer to that. And Zacharias, his tongue is going to be loose. He's going to praise the Lord. And he's going to tell us what kind of child this shall be. Now, that's the real introduction that's over. Let's now look at Zacharias' song. I want to start, before, we, before I give you the outline, I want to start just by giving you the, the big picture. And here's what Zacharias is saying. 
So if you were to summarize these, these 11 verses of Zacharias' praise and his song, here's kind of the big picture of what Zacharias is saying. The major covenants and the major prophecies of the Scriptures were finding their fulfillment in Jesus, and these are the same covenants and prophecies that had preserved hope in, in the hearts of the Jewish people. So, so really what Zacharias is saying in a nutshell is that these, these covenants the Jews had, had attached their hearts to and their hopes to, these, these are finding fulfillment in Jesus, and this is coming true in Jesus, and the prophecies are making their way through, some through John the Baptist, but primarily through Jesus. These are finding their fulfillment there. So understand, last week we looked at Mary's song. Mary is, is a poor young Jewish girl, and she says, man, my soul magnifies the Lord. He's looked on me, his, his lowly handmaiden. He's regarded my estate, and she gives that song of praise, which is indicative of, of who she was, her heart. Now, Zacharias is an older sage priest, and his song is indicative of that. His song is just packed with theology and Scripture. In 11 verses, Zacharias references the Old Testament 15 times. I do not have time today to walk through every allusion and every reference that he gives, but he references the Old Testament 15 times in 11 verses. And if you think that our hymns are rich and full of theology, I mean, Wesley or Fanny Crosby, whoever you like that wrote hymns, they just, they don't hold a candle to what Zacharias did. So th this is extremely rich that he essentially says in a, in a roundabout way, look, what we have been hoping for, what we have been waiting for, what we have, the prophecies that we've banked on, those prophecies are coming true right now in Jesus. This is happening. I'm going to tell you about that. Now, the, the dangerous inclination for you and for me is that we would say, great, yippee for Zach. You know, he's, he's a, he's an old, he's a priest that's in the first century, a Jewish man, of course he's happy that these, you know, prophecies are coming true. Of course he's happy that they're finding fulfillment in Jesus. Of course, but great, he's, he's a first century Jewish priest. Like, I'm a modern American Gentile Christian. What does that have to do with me? Like, I'm 2,000 years removed from Zacharias, and Zacharias is 400 years removed from the nearest prophecy. What in the world does that have to do with me? And can I tell you very simply, everything. We, as Christians, we celebrate and live and move and anchor ourselves to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. Now, what is the gospel? Probably once a month, I reference this passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins, and then there are four words that follow that according to the scriptures. And it goes on next verse, and that he was buried and he rose again. Same four words, according to the scriptures. Now, we talk a lot about Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus died for our sins, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again. And we should. It's been my experience that we very rarely talk about according to the scriptures. But that is a valid part of the gospel. That is valid for Zacharias. That's valid for us. And this is really what Zacharias is honing in on in his song, is he's saying that Jesus is according to the Scriptures, that those prophecies, those, those, those promises are being fulfilled. They're coming true in Jesus Christ. And this is why this should matter so much to you. You cannot know the Old Testament without knowing Jesus, but you cannot know Jesus without knowing the Old Testament. The two are indivisible. 
You can't really understand. John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Well, to understand that, you really got to understand the Old Testament sacrifices of the Lamb. You have to understand the Old Testament to really get what he's saying about Jesus. But the, the, the opposite's true. To understand the Old Testament sacrifices fully, you have to understand who Jesus is. And they had their fulfillment in him. So those two are indivisible. And Zacharias is leaning into the part of the gospel that we don't talk about a lot because honestly, it's thick and it's heavy and it's a sermon this morning that you're going to have to work not to fall asleep through. It's something that it, that's, that's tougher for us to plow through, but it's a valid part of scripture. It's a valid part of the gospel that we need to talk about and celebrate and Zacharias does. So he's going to give us in, in a roundabout way that all of these, these, these promises that are coming true in Jesus and they're rooted in him. Now, let me give you the outline, and I'll let you fill in and build the jigsaw puzzle on your own time, but let me at least give you the border and help you understand a bit more of, of this song. Let me give you four words. So first, the first word I'll give you that Zacharias' song is about, it's about redeemed. Look, look as he starts this song in verse number 68. Here's the beginning of the song. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. What Zacharias is saying that he's emphasizing salvation. He's, em he's emphasizing redeemed, saved, raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David as the, as the prophet spake. What is he saying? You've raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David. That's not something that we typically lace inside of our hymns, you know. I've never heard a song, maybe they exist, but I've never heard you've raised up a horn of salvation as a song that we sing. But this is what Zacharias is saying. A horn of salvation, he's referencing the, the Old Testament. The horn is the, the strength of the animal. What he's saying is you're raising up a mighty savior, the horn of salvation. You are raising up a mighty Savior to redeem your people, and you are doing that through the house of David. So what, he, what Zacharias is doing is he's referring back a thousand years to the promise that was given to David that the Jewish people had anchored their hope to, the Davidic covenant. There was this promise given to David that, David, I am going to bless your seed, and out of your loins will come, will come someone who will rule and reign, and his kingdom will have no end. That was the promise given to David that they had looked at and they had, they had hoped for. Now, this is an important promise that the New Testament emphasizes often. Think about it for a moment. What, what is emphasized over and over again inside of the Christmas stories? Well, the lineage of Joseph and Matthew. That Joseph was of the house of David. The lineage of Mary in Luke 3. Mary was of the house of David. Remember what the angel told Mary? You may have just kind of glossed over this last week. What did the angel tell Mary in Luke 1 when she said, you're going you're gonna to bear a child and call his name Jesus? And what, what, what did she say to help her know this is absolutely unique and special? Look back at it with me. Verse number 32 of Luke 1. Just flip the page back. This is Gabriel talking to Mary. 32 of Luke 1. Jesus shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. 
Now, we can easily just kind of glance right over that, but what is, what is the angel telling Mary? That Davidic covenant, that promise that, that the Jews have hoped for for so long that's been foretold, that is coming true in Jesus. He's going to rule and reign. He is the seed of David. He is the one that will have the kingdom without any end. And this is Zechariah saying, I understand this. I understand we are going to be redeemed by a mighty Savior coming through the house of David. I understand that that prophecy is being fulfilled. I get that it's through David that the Messiah is coming. Now, that, that's an important claim that roots us back into this is God's plan. This is being fulfilled. This isn't just some, some blip on the radar or some new invention. This is something that's been long foretold. We'll talk even about that in the musical a bit tonight. That this has been prophesied of. This, is, this has been God's plan. This is the redemption of his people. Now, Luke does his best in his gospel to bookend it with redemption. Luke 1 talks, talks heavily about redemption, even in Zacharias' song. That through Jesus, redemption is going to be offered. But what you find at the end of Luke is, is this account. The Jewish people that had banked on Jesus for redemption had their hopes dashed. There, there's a story that Jesus is buried. He has just risen from the dead. And it's kind of being spread around that he maybe rose from the dead and, and the word is spreading. And there are, there are men that are walking on the road to Emmaus. The Bible says that Jesus veils himself. They don't know that it's the risen Lord. And he walks up to them and basically says, guys, why the long face? Haven't you heard? The one that we had hoped would redeem Israel was murdered and has been buried for three days. And the Bible says that Jesus opens up the Old Testament. Moses, the prophets, he opens it up and he shows them that Redeemer, that Messiah, must needs have suffered. It was foretold that he would suffer, that he would die. Let me show you the scriptures about me. Let me show you that the redemption that you had hoped for, don't have your hopes dashed because it's still true. I am the Redeemer. I am the Messiah. I am the one that you can still hope in. So this is Zacharias saying in a, in a really terse way, Jesus is the Davidic covenant coming to fulfillment. He is coming through the lineage of David. He is going to rule and reign and have a kingdom without end. That's big time news for them and it should be big time news for us. I'll say secondly, beyond just being redeemed, I would say remembered. He continues his song in verse number 72 and he says this, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham. Now Zacharias is going back even further to the Abrahamic covenant. And he's saying not just the Davidic covenant is finding its fulfillment, but the Abrahamic covenant. And what was Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant? The Abraham, I'm going to bless thee. I'm going to make a great nation out of thee. Out of you will all the families of the earth be blessed. And I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. I don't typically make political statements from, from the pulpit, but I'll make one this morning. This last week, President Trump announced that Tel Aviv was not going to be the capital of, of Israel according to the U.S. perspective. We were going to see Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. We're going to move our embassy there. There's a lot of political backlog to all of that, but I don't care if it was Republican or Democrat. Any president that would stand up and do that, I would applaud and commend because it's, that's biblical. I, I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. I'm thankful that we as America did that this last week. That's been long overdue. Amen. But what Zacharias is saying is that that covenant 
is finding fulfillment in Jesus, that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, that he's remembering the promise, he's remembering the mercy, he's remembering the oath he made to Abraham. God is bringing that to pass. It's been a long time since he promised that, but God is actually materializing that in Jesus Christ, and the prophecies are coming true. Now, if you were to ask Zacharias nine months prior, before Zacharias had John the Baptist, before him and Elizabeth were pregnant, ask him nine months ago, hey, Zach, how is the Abrahamic covenant coming along, buddy? You feel like God's making you a great nation right now? You feel like all the families of the earth are just, you know, really due to be blessed by you? You feel like God is blessing you right now? You know what Zacharias would have told you? I do not feel that way, but I'm, I'm hoping. I'm, I'm banking on his word. I, I know what he said. Right now, we're under oppression from the insufferable Romans. Right now, we feel downtrodden. Right now, we feel outcast. Right now, we feel forgotten. But, but I'm hoping, I've, I've banked on the Abrahamic promise. And what Zacharias is saying is that is coming true now. It's no longer just a hope. It's no longer just one day. I, I don't know when this is going to happen. This is happening right now before our very eyes. If you would, Now, Zacharias was a priest. If you would have talked to just an average Jew in, in that day and age, they would have just woke up, eaten their Wheaties, gone to work, come home, try to avoid the Romans and not get squashed by them and go on with the day. Meanwhile, the priest would have said, God's mindful, God's merciful, God's mighty, God knows what he's doing. And, and, and the typical Jew would have said, it sure doesn't feel that way. Feels like we're forgotten. It's been 400 years since we've had a prophet prophesy to us. Been a long time since we've had some, some hope measured out to us. It feels like God hasn't remembered and what Zacharias is saying is, God remembers. He, know, he hasn't forgotten. He, he remembered the oath to Abraham. He knew what he promised. That is coming true in, 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 in Jesus. This, the headwaters of mercy, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those are still flowing through the seed of Israel. That's going to come through Jesus Christ. And what, what Zacharias is really leaning into, and what Luke, I think, wants us to know here, is that this is not just some, some newfangled religion that's invented. Now, mind you, okay, this is, we're talking all about Jewish Old Testament prophecies, things that typically in church, like, people avoid that. Preachers think that that's like a preacher's graveyard, and they avoid that stuff. This is why we like, I like, where church likes to walk through Samuel and Jonah and Old Testament, because it's valid. It's valid for us to understand who Jesus is. But this is, this is, okay, Luke is a Gentile doctor. He's not a Jewish guy. Luke's a Gentile writing to a Gentile, Theophilus. So the, the author is not Jewish. The intended audience isn't Jewish. But he's emphasizing all of these Jewish prophecies a lot. Why? Well, he's trying to help Theophilus see this is not just some, some new religion. This isn't something that, that, you know, first century Jews conjured up and made up. This is the fulfillment of the, of the Judaistic promises and the fulfillment of prophecies. This has been long foretold. This isn't, this is, this is the claim for, for Jews that are not Messianic Jews that, that we just kind of invented a religion. That is false, that we just kind of thought of it, you know, in the moment. But this is, this is Zacharias and Luke saying to us, no. This, this has been long foretold. This has been realized that this, you can, you can bank on this. This is according to the scriptures. Let me get a little bit more practical with you. Thank you for listening well. Thirdly, revolutionized. The next couple verses, here is what Zacharias says to us, starting in verse number 74. 
Yes, there's going to be this, this mighty Savior that comes through the lineage of David, and we're seeing fulfillment of that prophecy. There, this is God remembering the oath that he gave to our forefathers. But beyond that, here's what it means to us, that he would, uh, that he would grant unto us, verse 74, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Zacharias is saying this is going to allow us to serve without fear. This is going to allow us to live in holiness. This is going to allow us to live in righteousness. Now, a holy, righteous Zacharias, he was a good guy. He was a priest. But he's saying this is going to change the inside. This is going to change how we serve the Lord. This is going to revolutionize what it means to actually find righteousness and holiness. This is going to revolutionize what it means for me, a priest, who my vocation is to serve the Lord. This is going to change how I serve the Lord on a day-to-day basis. This is God remembering his promises to us, but beyond that, he's going to change us from the inside out. Lastly, this is realized. Verse number 76 changes pace a bit. Up until now, his song is one big flowing sentence, and Zacharias changes to a new sentence, and he also changes the tense of his verb. And he says this in verse 76. He looks down now at his boy, John the Baptist, and he says, yes, God is redeeming, and God has remembered us, and God's going to revolutionize this, but but this is going to be realized right now. This is coming to fruition right now, even in my son. And this is what he says in verse number 76. And thou, child, picture this, this old dad holding his, his eight-day-old child. Thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. What a statement that a dad makes to a son. This isn't Zacharias saying, oh, you're so cute, you're so smart, you're so capable. This is Zacharias saying, I know, I know what the angel told me. He told me that the fulfillment, the forerunner, the the Malachi prophecy was my son. I know what he told Mary. Mary's been living with us for for three months now. And I I know by now what he told her, that the Messiah was coming through her, that that my son would be the forerunner to him and and give way to him. I I know what God has said, and this is coming to realization in my son, that this is, he is going to, he's going to serve the Lord. He's going to be a prophet. He's going to go before, and he's going to declare salvation by the removal of sins, by the remission of sins, through the mercy of God. My son's job is to go before Jesus and say, you can have your sins removed. You can find salvation by the mercy of God. What a statement from a dad to a son. I, I, I wish that there would be a measure of this that was more in, in Christian parents. You may not have a prophecy attached to your child, but, you, but maybe looking at them and understanding, I want you to live for the glory of God. You, you, are, you are a heritage of the Lord to accomplish something for God, to live for him, to do something for his glory. This is what Zacharias is saying to John the Baptist. You are, you my son, you're going to go tell people. The Lord is coming. Salvation is coming. Removal of sins is coming. The mercy of God is coming. It's here. This is the job of John. The, and Zachary, he understands this. He gets it. He gets it. This is happening in the Christmas story. Then he ends, last phrase, my favorite, and I'll bring it to how this actually could impact your life today. Here's his last phrase that, that I love. 
Yes, John, you're going to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of sins through the tender mercy of, of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness, darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What Zacharias is saying is, John, you're going to go before this Jesus. And here is his very poetic way of describing Christmas. Here's Zacharias's way in song of describing the birth of Jesus. Here's what he says. It's the day spring from on high. Day spring meaning sunrise. This is a heavenly sunrise that's visiting us to give light to those that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You understand what Zacharias realized? He says, John, you're going before Jesus, and Jesus is a heavenly sunrise that's going to shine light to those that are groping and wandering around in darkness, trying to find the way. You are going to give light to those that are in darkness so that they can find peace. Jesus is coming to burst onto the scene to shed light to those in darkness so that we can find peace with God. He says, this is the Christmas story. This is why Jesus is coming. Zacharias has a deep understanding that from the onset, the Christmas story is filled with the truth that salvation is coming, that redemption of sins is coming, that remission of sins is coming, that, that redemption is here, that, that the sunrise is coming to give us peace, to shine in our darkness, to, to lead us to God, that this is what it's all about. That all of the threads, all of, all of the, the prophecy to David and the prophecy to Abraham and, and, and the prophecy even in Jeremiah of the New Covenant, these are all being pulled into the tapestry of Jesus. And what this means for us is that salvation and redemption and forgiveness of sins and finding peace with God is now possible. This is Zacharias' song, and that's, that's deep. I know it is. I know that today has even been a sermon that's kind of tough to listen to because there's a lot there. But this is Zacharias saying Understand what Jesus means. Understand what Christmas means. It's not just sentiment and hot chocolate and gifts and time off of work and a, and a little cattle, you know, eating some hay while Jesus sleeps in the manger. This means salvation. This means sin's gone. This, this means that we're redeemed. This means that we now have peace because the light shines in our darkness. Now, what do we, what do, we do with this? I have, I have two minutes, and I want to tell you, what can you take away from this? How can this actually make you live different this week? And, and I, hope, I hope you see what Zacharias' song means for you. I would say it at least means that your God is big. Your God is big. You understand what God is doing in this story. Do you, do you realize all of the miracles of the Christmas story? It's not just a virgin conceived and Jesus was born. Do you understand the miracles of, of, of Elizabeth conceiving, of, of what, what happened with Zacharias and, and muting his tongue and what was realized in, in John the Baptist, that these prophecies that, that come true? Do you realize what, what God is doing? He's, he's so in control. He's orchestrating it all. He's, he's bringing it all to pass in his timing. That's your God. This should bolster your faith in him. This, this should make you leave out of here and say, wow, God did all of that to make Christmas happen. I would say beyond that, it means that you can bank on God's word. What this means is that what God promised the Jews and told them would come true, and there's still some, some yet to come true for them, but what he promised them would come true came true. 
He remembered. He, he didn't forget his oath. He didn't just pull a whoops on them. He knew his word actually came true. So it means for you and I that as we look at our exceeding precious promises and we look at, okay, there's a home in heaven offered to us. I haven't seen heaven, but I, I have the, the proof of God's word promise that if I believe on Jesus, then I have eternal life. I have heaven. I have the promise that Jesus is coming again. I have the promise that we will rule and reign with him, that I can bank on that. I can know that that hope is sure, that hope is secure. What God's word says to me, I can bank on because Zacharias' song proves to me that God is working that out and his word comes true. It also means that God's timing may not be your timing, but his timing is perfect. This is God. The Jews have been waiting and waiting and hoping and hoping, but God is finally bringing this to pass in his perfect timing. And there are some of you here this morning that sit and you think, I just don't get the timing of God. I don't, I don't get why he allowed that to happen now. I don't get why he hasn't allowed that to happen yet. There are, I'm going to get choked up. This morning, I, talking through this point, there, there was a, a lady, and I know her, I know her story, I know she's praying for her family to be saved. And she sat there and cried, thinking about this, you know what? It's God's timing. He's in control. And just just preaching to the audience, and sometimes you, you pick up on these things that you're doing. You see a lot when you're up here. Man, punch me in the heart. There, there are many of you who right now, through you name it, Loss, infertility, problems, not finding a job, not feeling like you're in control, that you, you think to yourself, man, what is God doing? How is he, what is he doing? Am I, I don't get it. Why did he allow this to happen now? Why didn't he allow it to happen yet? And what Zacharias' song teaches us, at least one of the things is that we can, we can rest in the promises of God and we can know that his timing's perfect. If you knew everything that God knew, you'd do exactly as he's doing in your life. But you don't know. <laughs> and we get frustrated with that. But it teaches us that his timing's perfect. It teaches us that Christmas has always been about the salvation of people. It's always been. Zacharias knew that. He knew that this was more than just some prophecies coming true or just a kingdom. He knew this was about removal of sins. This was about saving people. This was about light shining in darkness so that we could find peace. And can I tell you, many of you, you know that. You've, you've trusted in Jesus. You're, you're saved. You've, you, light has shined in your darkness and, and you have been saved. Some of you, maybe not. And if you haven't, I encourage you to believe. One preacher said it this way. Life is short. Death is certain. Judgment is a reality. And the way of life and peace is offered in Jesus Christ. And if God this morning is speaking to your heart in that way, believe. Trust him. He, through Jesus, you can have a relationship with God and know that, that you're saved, that you're going to heaven, that your sins are forgiven. You can find that. And Jesus Christ, I'll, I'll end this morning by reading just a small portion of Silent Night. We're going to sing this song here in just a moment after the sermon. But here's one of the stanzas of Silent Night that references Zacharias' song. You may not have ever realized it references Zacharias' song, but it does. Silent Night, Holy Night. Son of God, love's pure light 
This is how the songwriter puts it here. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. That's a reference to the, the day spring, the sunrise coming and shining into our darkness. Love's pure light, radiant beams from the face of Jesus, bringing the dawn of redeeming grace. That's what we sing about at Christmas. What, what Zacharias' song means is that it's always been. It's always been about the gospel. It's always been about saving people. It's always been about redeeming you, me. If you've never done that today, I pray that you will.